Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Well, let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Good to be here today. Um, my name's Ollie, if we haven't met, and many of you I haven't, um, but I'm excited to be opening up this part of God's Word with you. So, as Graham did, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help me to teach your Word, and I pray that you will grow us powerfully by it, in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. Well, you're probably aware, it's um, pretty hard not to, you must have been living under a rock if you haven't, but there's a royal wedding coming up. Uh, Prince Harry has fallen in love. Um, The young lady's name is Meghan Markle. People seem to want to know everything about her. To be honest, I never thought about the royals, but when I heard there was a wedding, for some reason I just got a little bit interested. I wanted to know, who was this woman? Where was she born? Where is she from? How old is she? Does she brush her teeth with Colgate or Oral-B? People want to seem to know everything. One thing I did learn about Meghan Markle was this story about her childhood. At 11 years old, she took on a multi-million dollar company and she won. You might have heard this, it's come out in the news. Procter & Gamble, huge company. They make uh, cleaning products, personal care products, that type of thing. Megan, as an 11-year-old, saw one of their TV advertisements. Uh, It was for a dishwashing soap. And in the advert, the voiceover had these words, women all over America are fighting greasy pots and pans. She wasn't happy with that. Um, You you probably agree. Um, Women are not the only ones that fight greasy pots and pans. Men do that as well. And Megan thought, this is not right. Children need to understand that both the mother and the father do the housework. What did she do? She wrote a letter to the company. She wrote a letter to Hillary Clinton, the first lady. She wrote a letter to a famous civil rights lawyer. And Megan's letters made a difference. The company changed the ad. They changed it to read, people all over America are fighting greasy pots and pans. The actions of this ordinary 11-year-old, yes, now to be uh, in the royal family, Ordinary 11-year-old, they were powerful. 
and they brought about change. Meghan Markle wrote to a huge company. She wrote to the First Lady. She wrote to a famous civil rights lawyer. But we as Christians, those who have come into a relationship with God, can write to God Almighty. We can speak directly to him and call upon him to bring about powerful and effective change. And that's what this last part of the letter of James is all about. Please open up your Bible if you've got one. There's some on the back table um, because we'll be looking at it lots. James starts by speaking to a bunch of different people in the church who are in different circumstances. Look with me at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Some of us here, as the the church James was uh, writing to, are facing trouble. There's something going on in our life um, that's really bugging us. We're sitting here, um, you're probably not really listening to me because your mind's elsewhere. You've got something else going on that's really stretching you to the limit. James says simply, let them pray. So I encourage you, if that's you, pray for God's strength to get through this trouble. But not everyone in the church is in trouble. It's okay to be happy. Uh, Some of us are happy. Some of us are cheerful. Some of us here today feel like that. James says, sing songs of praise. Uh, And what Graham said, gratitude. Praise God for the happiness, uh, because the happiness that we feel comes from him. He is the giver of it. And a great way to do that is in song. Uh, Sometimes when I'm standing here singing and I, I look around, Um, You see people with their eyes closed and it's a good reminder that when we sing, um, we're singing to God and we can praise him for the happiness that we feel. Whatever circumstance we are in as Christians, our response is to bring it all to God in prayer. Then James turns to the sick. You can see that in verse 14. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. James's first instruction is for them to call the elders of the church. Now, who are the elders that he's talking about? We've got elders here at the branch. Is he talking about the same thing? I think he is. In the New Testament, the elders were spiritually mature men who the church had tasked to teach the church in the Bible and to live godly lives, as an example. I was at a conference last week, NTE. It was a long conference. I came back pretty weary. I had a bit of a cold. Um, Now, I could have texted the elders, sent out a group text to all the elders saying, guys, got a cold. Can you come over and pray for me? They they might have. I've met them. They're good blokes. They might have done that. (laughs) That's not a bad thing to do. Um, But that could be a bit of overkill. I think James seems to be talking about here a type of sickness or a serious sickness uh, that requires the elders to visit. He requires their spiritual maturity because this sickness might be the result of sin in this person's life. Now, sickness by and large is a consequence of the world being broken. It's a consequence of us as people saying to God, God, we don't want you here. We don't need you. We'll run life our own way. And God gives us over to that. And as a result, the world is not the way it was first created. Uh, One of the consequences is sickness and disease. And sickness, it doesn't discriminate. We all will get sick at times. Some, yeah, more than others. But we will all get sick. But in the Bible, there are times where God uses sickness 
as a way to discipline his children. The same as a father may have disciplined us as our children, our father, given us a smack or taken away our ice cream and chocolate sauce and sprinkles and whatever else for a night when we were disobedient. God disciplines his children because he loves them and he wants what's best for them. So if there are people who are quite sick in our church or we are quite sick, we should at least ask the question. We should at least examine ourselves and see, is there any sin in our life that is coming between us and God? Are we indulging in anything rather than turning away from that sin and coming to God openly and asking for forgiveness? It's worth asking the question, and it's worth asking the question with a spiritually mature Christian like one of the elders, so that they can help you talk through it and that they can pray for you. James instructs the elders, when they visit, to pray. And we can be confident that if the sickness is a result of discipline from God, then he will take it away. We can be confident of that. As it says here, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. But much more importantly than the physical, look at the end of verse 15. It says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. God's discipline, if he does it, it's never meant to uh, distance ourselves from him. It's only ever actually meant to draw us closer to him. We should take sin seriously. God is angered by sin. He hates it when we sin. Uh, It upsets him. But in God's love, Christ has already took our punishment. Uh, God sent Christ to take his anger onto him, onto his body on the cross, so that we can have peace with God. And in prayer, we can ask for forgiveness on each other's behalf. The elders are to pray on this sick person's behalf, knowing that he is not going to hold it back from us. The punishment has already been paid through Christ. We can come to him in confidence that he forgives. What about the anointing with oil? It's a quite odd, odd thing to say. Um, it seems strange. We don't see the elders coming around throwing oil on people. Be hard to get off olive oil. It's, it always gets so everywhere, really, doesn't it? One option is that it's a medical treatment. Some people think, oh, it's just like saying, um, put some oil on as some kind of medicinal thing. Another option, I, I probably believe this is more likely, is that it's a sign or a symbol saying that this person is set apart for God and his purposes. They're in God's hands. And that was used, oil was used like that in the Bible, to anoint a king. Um, The disciples went out in Mark chapter 6, anointing and healing in Jesus' name. The oil really isn't the most important thing here. Rather, it's the prayer and the anointing being done in the name of the Lord. Because it's Jesus who has the power over sickness and death, not the oil and not even us. Another thing to be clear about here is James is not saying that if we pray with enough faith, we can heal all sicknesses. It's not that if we get our faith meter up, if we conjure up our faith meter, we could go into the LGH and we could just put all the doctors out of a job. All the people would be healed. He's not talking about that. It's not how strong or intense our faith is. Prayer offered in faith is prayer that trusts itself to God's will, to God's plan. It's a prayer in this circumstance that says, Lord, heal this person, but your will be done. 
In this first section, in these few verses, we've seen that prayer for others is powerful and effective. It can move God to make people well. And it can move God to forgive people of their sins. And that leads us into our second point. If the prayer of the elders can bring about forgiveness and healing, then let's all do it. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. He starts off by saying, therefore, meaning because of what he's just said in the previous verses, this is what we should do. And you notice how it says, confess your sins to each other. He's not saying this is an individual thing, me in my room with my door closed, confessing my sin and talking to God. He's asking us to do it together. The church is a family. We've been brought into God's family. And there, as Graham said, there's families all over the world meeting. But we here are a family. When I was getting to know my wife, Tess, early on, um, I remember after she first met my parents, she said, oh, I think I, I, I see a lot more about who you are. I think before that I was, I was trying to be very serious and, and godly and, and wise and come across that way. But with my family, I just sort of let go of it. I, was, I laughed more. I was more vulnerable. I was more who I was and I was okay just being that way. Uh, and in our family here at the branch, we can be like that too. Uh, really, all of us were a messy bunch. Uh, but we can be like that together. We need to be vulnerable and open with each other. Often the part that we most want to cover up with each other is actually the part that we most need to be open about. And that's our sin. And we come here on Sundays, I do this, come here to growth group throughout the week, and I just, before I get out of the car, I put on some kind of facade. There's some sin going on in my life. There's something that's really getting me down. Um, but I walk into church pretending everything's okay. We're never going to be free of sin and temptation in this life. The Bible is very clear about that. And we need people to remind us of that. We need people to remind us that God forgives, that there is grace for our sin, no matter how bad it is. And how can we remind each other of that if we're never open and honest with each other? James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So I ask you, do you do that? When was the last time that you confessed your sin to someone here, a brother or sister at church? If you're thinking, oh, I haven't seen that much lately, haven't really had to do that for a couple of years, I've sort of moved on from that phase, you're deluded. You're kidding yourself. If I walked around with you for one day, I would be able to prove that wrong. And you, if you did the same to me, it wouldn't be long before you see Oliver, he still needs to confess his sin to God. We've been looking in the uh, letter of James and it's, it's hard-hitting stuff. I'm sure there's been points where you felt convicted about something that God has said to you through the letter of this apostle. Was it how you use your tongue? Does your tongue cause fires in your family or your workplace? Was it how you care for possessions more than people? We heard that last week. Or is it dead faith? Is it claiming to be Christian but not really backing it up with any actions. We all sin. We all do things that James has been talking about in this letter. I was driving back from Hobart the other day. Um, this happened to me yesterday as well, actually. It was around 6pm. bit weary. been a long day. I'm driving along. I'm quite tired. A couple of yawns. 
and all of a sudden, you know those lines on the side of the road? Um, I didn't know what they were called, but they're called rumble strips. Quite a cool name, I think. And they're there so that when we drift off the road, when we drift off the path and are heading towards a tree, they're going to jolt us back. They're going to jolt us back to get on the road and save us from death. Who are the rumble strips in your life? Who are the people that point you back to God, that point you back to his grace, that when you sin you can go to and they can pray for you and ask God's forgiveness on your behalf? Who are the people in your life? If you don't, if you don't know, that's okay. Uh, that's fine. But I encourage you to find someone. Ask someone at church. Just start it. Ask someone. Okay, can I meet up with you? Can I have a coffee with you? I'd like to talk to you about something. And tell them about the sin that you're struggling with. And why not make it a regular thing, once a month, meeting with another brother or sister, um, talking about the areas that you're struggling with, the areas that you are tempted by, whether it's anger, lust, pride, worry, um, whatever it is. Talk about this with that person and pray. Pray for each other. There might be sin in your life right now that is really weighing you down. Sin does that. It weighs on us. It feels um, heavy on our backs, on our hearts. And it can be really sweet to tell a Christian. Um, embarrassing, yeah, it's hard, but to tell another Christian about it and have them pray for you, to have them talk to God our Father and ask for his strength to fight that sin and ask him to forgive you. James doesn't say here, rebuke each other. He doesn't say when someone comes and confesses a sin to you, rebuke them harshly and hopefully they'll um, jolt back and come out of it. He says to pray. He says to pray and ask for God's forgiveness. If someone confesses your sin to you, what should you do? Uh, Well, I think you should pray for them. That's what he says. Pray for God to give them strength in their temptation, and pray that God would help them to flee from this sin. If you don't have really any close relationships that you could do this at church, then I really encourage you, why don't you join a growth group next year and really get to know some people deeply that you might be able to share this vulnerably with them um, because it's a good thing to do. Embarrassing though it is, we so don't want to do it. Really, we're missing out. God's called us to be a family. We can be vulnerable together. And we can pray for each other about these most deepest and darkest secrets that we don't want to talk about. At the end of verse 16, James says, do this so that you may be healed. Now, he could be talking about healing from sickness like before, as in a discipline from God. Um, But more likely, I think he is meaning forgiveness. The forgiveness that comes when we openly confess with each other and bring each other to prayer, to God in prayer. We come to the final part of the letter um, and we've heard so far that we can pray in all circumstances. That God forgives, we know that, uh, he's made that possible through Christ. Christ on our behalf has dealt with our sins so that we can be forgiven and that leads us to be real with each other about our sin and to pray for each other. But James has something I think even bigger in mind here, more important. The last part of verse 16, James says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. By righteous here, he's not talking about a sinless person. Um, 
they're harder to find than a needle in a haystack, or the, the needle's actually not even in the haystack. There's, there's no sinless people here. We will always struggle with sin and temptation, even though we have been made God's children and forgiven. By righteous, he's talking about someone that's come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he uses the Old Testament prophet Elijah to show us this. Read verses 17 and 18 with me. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the heavens produced its crop. Elijah was a human being like us. Yeah, he was a prophet. Yep, God used him to do miracles, but he had the same struggles and weaknesses as us. Yet his prayers were powerful and effective, and ours can be too. When we read this, we might think, well, you know, he stopped the rain. Wouldn't every farmer in the whole of Australia want Elijah as their buddy? But it's not really the miracle that is what's important here. It's actually why he prayed. At the time uh, of Elijah, you can read about it another time in 1 Kings um, 17 and 18, those chapters. God's people had wandered away from him and they were really just worshipping false gods. So the reason Elijah prayed for the rain to stop is so that the Israelites, God's people, might see that God alone, the God of the Bible, is the one true and living God who is in control uh, of everything, including when the rain falls and when it starts again. So the three and a half year drought that followed was discipline from God. And at the end of it, people turned back to him and Elijah prayed and the rain came again. Elijah's prayers to bring back God's people who were wandering away from him were powerful and effective because they lined up with God's will. God is in the business of bringing back sinners, bringing back people to him that are wandering for him. That's what God loves to do. Prayer for bringing back sinners is powerful and effective. And James finishes the letter by urging us to pray for those that we know who have wandered from the truth. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. Notice here that he's talking to us He's talking to the Christian family, brothers and sisters, he says. And he says, if any one of you, there are people amongst us in trouble, there are some that are happy, there are some that are sick, but there are some that are wandering. And they're probably the ones that aren't here today, the ones that we used to sit next to on a Sunday and used to have coffee with. There are people amongst us, people that we know, loved ones, family members, parents, children, friends, who have wandered away from the truth. And by truth here, I think he, he, he means both what we believe to be true from the Bible about our Lord Jesus Christ, but also living out that truth, what it means to live it out. And that's what James has been talking about throughout the whole letter, right? Being genuine Christians. There are people we love, there are people we know whose lives are not lining up to that truth, who have wandered, who are in error. And... They are headed towards death. That's what he says here. He'll save them from death 
And by death, he means eternal death, hell, for those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They might call themselves Christians. You here might be wondering. You might call yourself a Christian. But you're living like the world. And sin is deceptive. Those that are wandering, often they don't realise it at the start. They might not even realise it much further on. But they, they really need you. They need us. And we need to rescue people like this. And the most powerful and effective way to do that is in prayer. We need to have passionate, persistent, pleading prayer for those who are wondering. Some of you will know Hudson Taylor. He was one of the first missionaries to go to China with the gospel. He was a pretty amazing man. I'm reading his biography. You know, he preached the gospel in places that had literally never heard the name Jesus before. But there was a time before that where he was wandering from the truth. From age 11, his mother began to notice that Hudson was drifting from the truth. She was really concerned and she tried her hardest to bring him back, introducing him to this person at church, giving him this book, taking him to hear this preacher, but nothing, nothing seemed to work. He finished school, he began to work at a bank and was sort of exposed to uh, all the world offers, money, women, all these things. Hudson himself, uh, and I quote him, he says, when I was at the bank, I used to wish for money, a fine horse and a house and my whole heart was set on worldly pleasures. He stopped praying, he stopped reading his Bible, he stopped going to church. Uh, He even began to contemplate there might not be a God. But his mother and his sister prayed earnestly for him to come back to the truth. Behind the scenes, they were praying day after day after day, pleading with God to bring him back. One, One year, when Hudson was back home on holidays, he walked into his father's office, he picked up a tract, a little booklet that was there, and it was about the finished work of Christ, about the fact that Jesus has done everything for our salvation and we no longer need to do anything apart from come to him in faith. He read that tract and he actually, he wrote that when he picked it up, he said, oh, this is just some Christian drivel. I've read this before, I've heard of it all before. But when he read it, he saw what Jesus had done for him. I quote him again, he says, This joyful conviction dawned on me as light flashed into my soul by the Holy Spirit that there was nothing in the world to be done but to fall down on my knees and accept Jesus as my saviour and praise him forever. Amazing. But hear what was going on behind the scenes. On the same day, his mother was out of town, she was visiting relatives, and she felt this urge to get on her knees, to go into her room, to lock the door, and to pray for her son's salvation, for him to come back to the truth. She said, I will not leave this room until I know from God that he's been saved. So she prayed hour after hour after hour, as she actually had done for years before. She wrote in her diary that she got up knowing that God had answered her prayers. A month before Hudson's conversion, his sister, the younger sister, had written in her diary that she would pray for him three times a day until he was converted. And she said she would never cease to pray for him until he was brought back into the light. And she'd done that for a month leading up to that day when he picked up that tract and God used it to save him. His mother and sister believed... They prayed because they believed it would work. Prayer is effective. When we pray, 
Do we expect God to answer? Or do we do it more as a formality, just checking in with him, just ticking that box uh, for the day? Prayer works. It's powerful. So let's pray. I think about my own life. Um, My parents brought me up to know God. They took me to church. They read the Bible to me. But I wandered away. When I was a teenager, I wandered away for years. I wanted the things of the world. I didn't want this thing um, called Christianity. But my parents, they prayed for me for years, for four or five years at least, particularly my mother. My dad prayed, but um, my mother prayed more, I think. They persisted. They doubted at times whether God was actually going to do anything, whether all this praying was going to mean anything, all the stuff that they taught me growing up. But God answered them. One night, uh, after God had broke me down for a year, a year and a half, um, showing me my sinfulness, showing me that AFL uh, relationships, they don't offer anything eternal, um, he broke me down and I cried out to him for forgiveness and gave him my life, seeing that Christ had died for me. I called my parents that night and I remember telling them what happened and I asked them last week if they remember that and they said, yeah, we remember it. We were shocked Um, we were in incredible joy and they were so happy about God answering their prayers. I'm convinced that, um, sure, God led me to that point and he opened my heart, but it was because my parents prayed and they persisted in that for years. They played a massive role. Their prayers were powerful and effective. So I simply encourage you, um, and James is encouraging us, to pray because it's powerful because our God is powerful and he wants wanderers to come back to him. Let's read verse 20 again. This is how he ends the letter of James. After all he's been saying, all he's been challenging us with, all he's been encouraging us with, he wants us to remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. Have you been pleading with God for years, for decades, with someone you know, someone you love, to come back to the truth, to come back to him. Persist, it's not in vain. Have you stopped praying for your parents? Have you stopped praying for your child, your friend? Because you just think, oh, they're too far gone. I look at their life, I see how they're living, I try and bring things up, but they don't ever listen. Start praying for them again. It's powerful. Are there people at church you're worried about, that you think they are beginning to wander. They're beginning to live a life that doesn't line up with Christ. Start praying for them today. When we pray earnestly, expecting God's answer, we can bring back sinners from the error of their way. You might think they're so far, they're so far from the truth, they're so lost, they've wandered too far. But God doesn't think that. God sent Jesus Christ to deal with sin once and for all. By dying in our place, Jesus covered over a multitude of sin. By him raising to life, we also can be free and saved from eternal death. He is the reason that this is possible. On the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. Sin has been paid. The mercy of God to sinners is a river that is always full and always flowing, no matter how far they seem to have wandered no matter how far you have wandered, God's grace is available to you. And Jesus has already done the hard part on the cross. Our job is to pray, 
and to call upon God to save those who are wandering. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call upon you, knowing that you hear us, knowing that we are in a relationship with you through Christ. We pray, Lord, that we will be open with you and with each other about the ways that we fall, about the things James has challenged us, you've challenged us in this letter, that we might tell each other about it and pray for each other. Lord, we pray for those who are wandering. We pray for those who aren't here today because they've wandered from the truth. We pray for everyone here that knows someone and loves someone who's wandered and is heading towards eternal death. Lord, we plead with you. Earnestly, we ask you, Lord, save them. Lord, we ask you that what Jesus has done on the cross might be applied to their life, that you would call them back to you, that you would call them back to the truth, back to the light, Lord, that they might come back into your family and that we might um, have fellowship and love with them and now until eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.